Heavenly Father, this morning as we open your word, as we think about uh, your connection with us, may you guide our hearts, may you push us, may you challenge us uh, to be closer to you more than ever. In Jesus' name, amen. Just a few years ago, Dexter Howard, he's the coroner at the Porter and Sons Funeral Home. He went to a 78-year-old man's house named Walter Williams who had just died. And as his job was, he went to collect the body to take it to the funeral home so that he could prepare it for the viewing that would happen the next day. And so he gets Walter in the body bag, zips it closed, puts it in the hearse, drives it to the funeral home, and he begins the the process of embalming him. He's getting ready, preparing him, cleaning him up, making him look good so that he can be there in the open casket the very next day. And as he's beginning this process, something incredible happens. Here's what the coroner says. Here it is on the screen. We got him into the embalming room, and we noticed his legs beginning to move, like kicking. Are you kidding me? Can you imagine this? Uh, The guy's out on the table and his leg's kicking. I mean, it's not like a squirrel after you shoot it flopping around. It's a human being. He calls the ambulance. They rush over. They pick him up. They take him to the hospital uh, right there in Mississippi. And the doctors find a pulse. This man is alive. A little while later, the the cousin uh, texts some family members. Here's what he says. Not yet. He's not dead yet. I don't know how long daddy's going to be here, but I know he's back right now. (laughs) It's an amazing story. A dead man now alive. One that wasn't breathing now is breathing. Dead lungs now pumping oxygen, or heart pumping oxygen deep into the blood. His muscles flexing, his, his cold skin now warm. He was dead, now he's alive. This morning, as we look at a story, a prophecy from God to Ezekiel to you and me today, I'm praying that it does a miracle in your life, in your body, wherever you are in your journey with Jesus, wherever you are in the connection with him, if it's close or far, I hope that this morning it's, a, it's an IV shot of energy and encouragement in your spiritual journey with him. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn with me to Ezekiel chapter 37, If you don't know where Ezekiel is, I'll help you find it. In the Old Testament, you can uh, find Psalms because it's the big book. If you find Psalms, you can find Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations. Finally, you get to Ezekiel. It's in there, I promise. If you have a Bible app, then you can find it really easily. Or if you need to use the Pew Bible, that's fine. You can follow along on page 614. Page 614. I'll give you some context as we turn there. Ezekiel is one of the major Old Testament prophets, just like Daniel. We were talking about him last week, and they they were contemporaries. They lived at the same time. Same kind of stuff's happening. God's people have slipped away from God, and they are into idolatry. And basically, in not so many words, they've told God, we don't care about you. And as God does, he never forces himself on people. And just even with his people that he loves so much, he won't force himself on someone. And so instead, he allows people to understand what it's like to live outside of his care. And so King Nebuchadnezzar comes, he sieges Jerusalem, captures the city, he captures Jews, he kills Jews, he destroys lots of stuff. 
He comes back a second and a third time and takes more people, and they are in exile. They have been captured. They have been enslaved, and they are in captivity. This morning, before we even look at the verse, I want to ask you this question so that you can help tailor make the application to your own life. Do you find yourself in some form of captivity this morning? I don't know what it looks like for you. Maybe it's not physical captivity, but maybe it's spiritual captivity. See, I believe every one of us at some level, in some way, shape, or form, uh, in our spiritual lives, there's some piece of captivity that holds you back. Uh, For some of us, it's the word complacency. Oh, that's so easy. Uh, Some of us were held in spiritual captivity with our complacency where we put little effort into it, and then when we feel far from God, we say, well, I guess it's just good enough. That might be you this morning. How about this spiritual captivity? Some of you are held in spiritual captivity by boredom. Uh, You've heard it before. I've heard it many times. Well, this this book right here, it's kind of boring. And I, I disagree, because, I mean, this, this is crazy stuff we're going to read today. But at the same time, you know, with all the social media and all the advertisements and everything around you, I can understand why this can seem a little dull. How about this one? Some of you might be in spiritual captivity just because of making priorities. You're busy. You have work. You've got family. You've got sports. You've got it all. And so spirituality and connection with God sometimes feels like it falls to the lowest priority. Or here, this one. And this is the last one. And I, and I think this is probably a lot of people. You might be in spiritual captivity this morning because you feel unworthy. Maybe it was something that happened. Maybe it's something that's happening. Maybe it's that you live a life that doesn't really honor God, and because of that you think, because I'm not already honoring Him, it's not worth the effort, and I'm unworthy to actually be close to Him. Wherever you're at this morning, whatever spiritual handcuffs you have that holds you captive, that restrain you from flourishing and deepening your relationship with Jesus, my prayer is that Ezekiel's message this morning, that it encourages you and pushes you to have a deeper walk with Christ. Let's read together. Ezekiel chapter 37, starting in verse 1. If you're there, say amen. Amen. Okay, let's go. Here's what my Bible says. We're going to read 14 verses, and then we'll go back through it piece by piece. Verse 1, the hand of the Lord was on me, Ezekiel says, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. He asked me, son of man, can these bones live? I said, sovereign Lord, you alone know. Then he said to me, prophesy, speak to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I was prophesying, there was a noise a rattling sound, and the bones came together bone to bone. I looked, and tendons and flesh appeared on them, and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to it, 
This is what the sovereign Lord says. Come, breath from the four winds and breathe into these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me and breath entered them. They came to life and stood up on their feet, a vast army. You can't tell me that story is boring. I mean, what an incredible story. Ezekiel's whisked away to some valley somewhere in a dream. Now, I don't know about you, but when I dream, it is in 8K, high definition, total full color. My dreams are so vivid. Do we, any, any other dreamers in here? Okay, I also sleepwalk. Any other sleepwalkers in here? We can be friends. Yes, back in the back. Uh, ask my wife. It is crazy sometimes where she finds me walking around the room in my underwear. It is scary. Let me tell you, if I'm in Ezekiel's shoes and I'm in this dream, it's very, very vivid. There, he's in this valley, but it's not a lush river valley. It's not green with grass. It is a, a dark, desolate valley full of bones. What kind of a walk with the Lord is this? When I was a little boy growing up, we lived on a farm, and I loved this place. I mean, well, there was cows and horses and all sorts of stuff. There was fields, the growing things. There was also woods. Uh, my favorite pl place was this cherry tree that had a giant tire swing that you could swing out over this valley. And I distinctly remember one day my dad and I went on a, a walk, just hanging out. We walked through the woods, and as we're going along, I noticed something sticking out of the ground. And we moved the leaves and moved the debris away to find out it was a bone. It was a femur this long. We kept looking around and we found a jawbone. We kept moving around, we found a skull. And I'm thinking, what kind of a weird graveyard is this? And my dad, he said, oh, Matt, I know what animal this is. It's a cow. It was on a cow farm, dairy farm. And so my dad said, I wonder if this cow was sick and the farmer had to put him down or, or whatever happened. There this cow skull is. Just this past Thursday, uh, my boys and Jen and I, we, we all were walking down to this pond that's near our house to go fishing. We just got into fishing this last week, and I'm proud to say that we've caught seven fish this week. That's pretty good. Pretty good for a vegetarian, wouldn't you say? <laughs> Had our fishing pole, we going through the woods, walking down, and as we're walking along, there on the ground is a skull. We pick it up, and we look at it, probably a raccoon or a possum. Ezekiel, as he's walking with God, he looks down and he sees bones, but they ain't cow bones. They're not possum bones, they're human bones and full, complete skeletons at that. The passage says that they were slain bones, like they had, had been killed in battle. They're laying there, dry bones. They've been there a very long time. And God asks Ezekiel a rhetorical question. He says these words. He says, can these dead bones live? And as we continue thinking about this passage as it's a metaphor to our own spiritual life, I can ask a similar question. It's, it's a pretty hard question, but I'll ask it anyway. Can a dead spiritual life come back to life? Now see, I'm talking in the extreme. Uh, the extreme would be someone that doesn't know God, that doesn't care about God, that wants nothing to do with Him. That's a dead spiritual life. And I would suggest that in this room now, there probably isn't that many that feel that way, although if there is, this passage is for you. But I think every one of us at some level uh, falls into some category where we could grow more with Him, where we want to grow more with Him. You know who He is. You believe in Him. You do know Him. And although your spiritual life isn't dead, I wonder if any of us feel like it might be stagnant. 
It's a funny word. You've seen ponds before where there's good bass fishing. Sometimes green stuff grows on the top because there's no water coming in or going out. That's a stagnant pond where there's no motion. It just sits there. So maybe the question that I ask this morning is this. Can a struggling, stagnant spiritual life be given new life? See, I know this is a very hard question to ask yourself because it makes you very vulnerable and you come face to face with maybe an embarrassing reality. Uh, and in order to grow, you have to be vulnerable at some level. And as a struggling spiritual life is not something we talk about. We never post it on Facebook or Instagram. You don't ever share publicly that you're struggling with Jesus. But when you take that personal gut check, that authentic, truthful evaluation of self, it's then that you can grow. God says to Ezekiel, can these dead bones come to life? Ezekiel says, Sovereign Lord, you're the only one that knows. And God responds with the rest of this story. Verse 7, let's read it again. Here's what it says. It's an object lesson for you. Ezekiel says, So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound, and the bones came together, bone to bone. I looked, and tendons and flesh appeared on them, and skin covered them. But there was no breath in them. Are you seeing it? He's there in the valley, dead, dry bones, and all of a sudden these bones come together. Tarsals meet metatarsals, and femurs meet pelvises, and skulls meet vertebra, and, and, and tendons, and sinews, and muscles. They attach to the bones, and, and organs show up inside the rib cage. And these naked bodies have filled the valley, except they're just lifeless bodies. There's no breath in them. They're bodies that aren't breathing. They're bodies that exist but have no life in them. They're physically present, but they aren't inhaling and exhaling. That's not what I expected to happen. I wonder if Ezekiel expected to be standing in a valley surrounded by zombies. I might step on some toes this morning, and I'm okay with that. There's some here this morning that may feel like you exist as a spiritual zombie too. You want a spiritual life, but you believe that a growing spiritual life grows only by church attendance or watching online. After the closing prayer is said, your spiritual life is put on pause, and you turn into the walking dead until the next week when you get an hour-long Jesus fix, and then it's back to spiritual life zombiehood. You may feel trapped in this endless cycle where there's no hope of anything, anything deeper any kind of growth, and you just exist, and your spiritual life exists where you're alive and dead at the same time. I don't like talking about that, and I'm glad that Ezekiel's vision that God gives him doesn't end there because that's discouraging. But the rest of the story goes on, and I think this is where the encouragement happens, and it's in verse 9, because these zombies that have bodies and they're existing but they don't breathe, something changes in them. Verse 9, then God said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to it, this is what the Lord, sovereign Lord says, come, breath from the four winds, and breathe into these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath entered them. They came to life and stood up on their feet, a vast army. 
It's a picture of new life in old bones. It's almost a perfect uh, a repeat of what happened in the Garden of Eden as God kneels down and pulls dirt together in the shape of a body, a lifeless body that is just bones and flesh. There's nothing special about it. But when God puts his divine mouth on the lips of Adam and he breathes into his nostrils the ruach, it's the breath of life. That's what Ezekiel says, and it's in Genesis 2. That's when man becomes a living being. And it happened in Genesis, and it happened here again where a dead body has new life as God breathes his breath into him. And it brings me to a powerful point that you can't forget this morning. We'll put it up on the screen. It may not show up how I intended it, but let's see what we got here. Go ahead to the next slide. A growing spiritual life takes two parts. Human invitation and God inflation. Would you say it again with me? A growing spiritual life takes both human invitation and God inflation. Without the breath of God, the inflation into the soul, there can be no spiritual growth. Without the invitation, God won't inflate you either. It's both. It's, it's a good thing that God's always willing, but without the invitation, he won't impose himself. And I have an illustration that I really want to share with you this morning, but it could go very badly. Are you willing to take that chance with me? Nah, it was weak. Are we willing to go there today? Okay, I like this. Um, I'll be right back. I'm not going too far here today. All right, let's see what we got here. All right. We're all going swimming today. Here we are. This, this is your spiritual life. Kind of weak, ain't it? Mine too sometimes. Kind of looks like it's deflated, like it needs pumped up a little bit. I mean, that's not gonna last in the swimming pool. Not with my boys jumping on it, that's for sure. This, is God. Here he is. Now God would never inflate someone that doesn't invite him to. He doesn't do that. He's not a God that imposes his will on people. He doesn't force you to love him. That's the opposite of what love is. So what does your invitation look like? As growing spiritual life takes both human invitation and God inflation. I wonder what your invitation might look like. Let's see. I got one. Maybe your invitation is just a simple prayer where you say, God, I want you to help me grow to know you better. God, I really want to grow with you. God, I want to spend more time with you. I want you to fill me up, God. I don't even know how to do it, God. But would you inflate me? What else? I got one. This is a good one. Maybe, maybe some of you, your invitation is simple. It's just a new Bible. 
I mean, some of you have lots of Bibles, and you may not ever want to read it. Some of you don't have a Bible that you like, and so maybe you, you say, God, I want to get a Bible that I enjoy. Would you speak to me through that Bible? Maybe you, uh, maybe you like the King James Version. Maybe you like the New International Version. If you like one that really just shows God's love and really easy to read words, try the New Living Translation. God, I want to hear you. Maybe it's uh, one of those... Um, coloring Bibles. You ever seen those? Those are cool. Maybe you like to color. God, I want to, I want to see you through color. Maybe your invitation is, is something a little different. Maybe you like to journal. And you say, God, I want to talk to you through journaling. Oh, that's one of my favorite ways to connect with him. And my spiritual life begins to grow as I tell him what's on my heart, as I study about him, to think about him. Let's see, what else can we think of? I have a list, I just have to remember it, okay? <laughs> oh, I got one, this is a good one. I'll sit over here. Ah, this is a real good one. Maybe the way you invite God into your spiritual life is just saying, God, I'm gonna attend church regularly. Not that that's the solution to everything, but I wanna be in the presence of other people that know and love him, and I wanna worship together consistently. See, I know there's a million different excuses on why you can't come to church. Maybe you're tired. Maybe you're worn out. Maybe you uh, don't like the music. Whatever it is. But I'll tell you what, with that invitation, he'll inflate you. I hope we don't run out of air because this illustration won't work without air. I got one. I got another one. We're not stopping here. I got a real good one. Sounds like a guilt trip, but I don't mean it that way. Here's one. Maybe you can say, God, I really want my spiritual life to grow, and, and so I want to prioritize joining a small group. You know what's cool about this church? We've got a bunch of small groups. They all happen at the same time, 10 a.m. on Sabbath morning. You might know about them. called Sabbath School. If you go to one and you don't like it, Go find another one. Because when you give the invitation, he'll give the inflation. Let's see. Oh, poor guy. Let's see. I got another good one. This is a good one. Two more here. How about this one? Maybe your invitation is just uh, spending time as a family knowing Jesus. Maybe it's a devotional book you, you read. Maybe you just watch The Chosen together. Maybe it's a devotional book you read with your spouse. How about this one? This is a great one. What about service? It's one of our values in our church. We do it all the time. You go to Gift and Thrift all the time and serve down there. You, you can serve in the church, AV department, music department, deacons. We can use you. And when you say, God, I want to I wanna grow by serving you, he inflates. A growing spiritual life takes both human invitation and God inflation. And when we work together hand in hand with God, our relationship with Him will grow and grow. 
And at some point very soon, when he comes to get us, we're all going to stand together and say, how great thou art.